Welcome to the Marriage by the Book podcast. Whether you have a great marriage or one that needs improvement, this is the show for you. Since 1994, we've used biblical principles to help hundreds of couples, just like you, find relationship success. As you listen, you'll get practical tips, knowledge, and motivation that will help bring greater intimacy and happiness to your marriage so that you can enjoy the relationship you've dreamed of. And now, this is Marriage by the Book. Hello. We call this podcast and our ministry as well, Marriage by the Book, because we believe that the Bible is the book that has the answers for successful relationships. You know, whatever you're facing, the answers are there. And I'm really excited about the opportunity in this podcast and in other ways as well to share insights and help for today's marriages from the Word of God. You know, my wife, Rebecca, and I, we've worked with hundreds of couples since 1994, and we've seen God's advice for relationships save and improve people's marriages over and over again. It's worked for them. It'll work for you too. And, and you might be out there listening and you might have a great marriage or maybe you're listening and your marriage might be in trouble and you're the only one that's willing to do anything about it. You know, even if your spouse doesn't want help, you can make a change in your relationship by yourself and have a good effect on your relationship. Now, today, I'm going to talk about one of the common lies that the devil tries to convince married couples to believe. And I know this because he told me this lie when Rebecca and I got married, and I bought into it for a long time. You know, we really do have an enemy. And believe it or not, your enemy isn't your spouse. It's not even your neighbor's cat. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5.8 that our adversary, or you could say your enemy, your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil is your enemy, and he's a liar, okay? One of his lies is this. You are the only person who has any problems in your marriage. That's a lie, okay? A lot of people think that they're not supposed to have problems after they get married. People think if, if you're married or you, know, you marry the right person, everything's going to be good and you won't have any problems. When we got married, we had trouble immediately. You know, Rebecca wanted to get help and I didn't. You know, the last thing I wanted to do was admit there was a pr- problem and go looking for help. I didn't want to do that. You know, I thought that people were going to think that something was wrong with me if I let anybody know that Rebecca and I had trouble. You know, I was believing the lie and falling into the trap. You know, like 1 Peter 5 says, and we just read it there, the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, I used to watch these nature shows when I was a kid, like uh, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom and other, that kind of dates you to mention that one, doesn't it? But other nature shows as well. And I remember watching those nature shows, you know, that the lions were always after the one that was separated from the rest of the herd. The ones that were weak or sick or for whatever reason they were separated. Maybe they're just being neglectful or not watchful or whatever, but they were separated from the rest of the herd for whatever reason. And that's what the devil tries to do to us, even in marriage, tries to isolate us, to separate us from help and to keep us from seeking help for our relationship. And if he can get us isolated and separated like this, he makes us, he makes our marriage a target. Okay, we really do have an adversary Again, it's not your spouse, it's the devil. 
But he tries to tell you things like this. You know, don't tell anyone that you need help. You need to keep this hidden. And again, I fell right into this. We had a train wreck marriage right from the beginning, really. It was amazing. It was bad right off the bat. And I remember thinking, man, we are the only couple in the world dealing with this. I really thought that. I thought we were the only ones dealing with it. And I thought, you know, if I tell anybody, they're going to think something's wrong with us. They'll think we're weird. They might ostracize us. They might judge us. And I especially don't want to get marriage counseling because, you know, man, if, if you go see a marriage counselor, it's the end of the road, right? It's over at that point because it's just over, okay? So I hid the problem. I didn't look for help. And I got mad at Rebecca if she would mention wanting to get help because I didn't want anybody to know. Again, I thought people would think something was wrong with us, that I was defective in some way, that, that you know we're the only people in the world that have problems. So, man, you don't want anybody else to know that you have trouble, right? So anyway, uh, finally, after two, about two and a half years of this mess in our marriage, uh, I agreed to go see a, a secular Ph.D. psychologist, and I just say secular for context. It wasn't a Christian counselor we went to. But this individual had 14 years of experience, okay? And I want to add this as well. The reason that I agreed to go, really at this point, by the time the two and a half years had lapsed, I thought it was hopeless. I thought it was over. And the reason I agreed to go and see this marriage counselor was because, you know, at least I'll be able to say, you know what, I did everything I could. I really tried. It didn't work. I just really didn't want any blame to be on me. It's what it amounted to. So I'm kind of telling on myself here. But but that's what I did. That's how I thought. So I thought, well, let's find the best one in the area where we live, the most recommended, and go to them. Then I'll really be able to say, you know, I did everything I could. It just didn't work. So that's why we went to this particular person. And uh, we met with him a few times, and this uh, this Ph.D. psychologist, marriage counselor, said, you know what? You guys are the only hopeless couple I've ever seen. You need to get a divorce, okay? Uh, so <laughs> that was uh, kind of a, a nail in the coffin, so to speak. But we weren't looking to the Bible or to God for any answers at that point, okay? And we'll talk about this, I'm sure, in future episodes, but God kind of got a hold of our lives at that point and just really turned things around for us, and you'll hear more about that again as we go along. But I want you to learn from my mistake. When you marry, there are going to be some rough patches. You're taking two different people, and you and your spouse may be very similar. You might have a lot in common, but you're still very different. You know, your gender's different. Your a lot of your tastes and dislikes and likes and just all these things are different. And the Bible says that when you marry, you'll have trouble in the flesh. Okay. The majority of people don't know that, okay? And I think, really, this is a scripture that can bring freedom. It's 1 Corinthians 7, verse 28. I'm going to read it from the New King James Version. It says, But even if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. So he's he's telling me, if, if you don't marry, it's okay. If you do marry, it's okay. He says, but if you marry, you're going to have trouble in the flesh. So right there, the Bible is telling us that when you get married, you're going to have some problems. It's not just going to be smooth sailing. So when the devil comes and says you're the only one with trouble, he's lying. Okay, he's just telling you a lie and wanting you to fall for it so that he can isolate you and take you out. He's telling you, you better not look for help. So anyway, having issues in marriage doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. 
uh, or that you're weird or that you're messed up or that you're just defective and not able to have a sound relationship. It doesn't mean any of those things. It's actually normal. It's even biblical. The Bible tells us you're going to have some problems. Everyone who marries will have trouble in the flesh, just like it says there. The idea that you're the only one having trouble and that you can't tell anybody, again, that's a lie to keep you from getting help. Everybody else's marriage is great. That's what we think, right? What's wrong with you? Again, that's what we think. And everybody else's marriage isn't great. In fact, um, other people who are married are dealing with the same kind of stuff, okay? The Bible talks about this in 1 Peter 5, 9. Listen to this. I'm reading this from the New King James as well. It says, resist him. Now, that's talking about the devil. When it says resist him, it's talking about resist the devil. So resist him steadfast in the faith. Now, listen to this. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. See, there you go. We think, man, we're the only ones going through this, but everybody else is going through and dealing with the same stuff, okay? Everybody deals with problems. But just because there are problems doesn't mean that that marriage is bad or that you married the wrong person or that you made a mistake or that there's something wrong with it. It doesn't mean any of that. No matter what, you know, think about this. No matter what you do in life, no matter what person you marry, what car you buy, what house you buy, what career you choose, you're always going to deal with problems. You know, even if you land your dream job, there are going to be problems, right? Any car you buy, there's going to be maintenance, there's going to be oil changes. Any house you buy, you have to clean it, there's going to be things that break and go bad. There's always going to be problems. You know, think you, even about this, you could go to the best school with the best che- teacher, and guess what? You're going to have problems, right? So anyhow, Even the very best marriages have some issues to deal with. If you see a good marriage, you're looking at the product of effort. I think I mentioned this before, but uh, um, a lot of times we think if somebody has a great marriage, that we think that, you know, what they're just, people even say things like, well, you know, they're just lucky in love, or it's just happenstance that, that happiness in marriage is a matter of chance. Folks, that's not true. If you see a good marriage, it's the product of effort. I believe that Rebecca and I have a good marriage. It could be better. It's not perfect, but I think it's a good marriage. And it's not just luck. It didn't just happen. We had to work at it. And people with good marriages have to work at it. It's effort, not just luck. Okay. And really, it's kind of like if you see a successful business. Okay. That's the product of effort. That didn't just happen. If you see a successful church, that's the product of effort. It didn't just happen. Okay. And so we need to realize that, you know, there, there are going to be some problems and we're going to have to deal with them. We're going to have to make an effort. You know, ignoring problems won't make them go away. The fact is we have to learn to be married. You know, think about this. In Titus 2, verse 4, it says that the older women should teach the younger women to love their husbands, okay? Again, it's not just automatic. We have to learn. There's one scripture that shows us that this stuff is not just going to happen, that we're going to have to learn to be married and learn to get along in marriage and learn how to act toward each other and how to treat each other in that, in marriage, okay? Now, you know, Rebecca and I, we're two very different people. We really are, okay? I grew up in West Virginia on a farm. She grew up in Alabama in the city. Uh, she's a girl. I'm a guy. Just we're very different. The things we like, et cetera, we're just different. And uh, that's the case with everyone. Again, no matter how much you might have in common, 
there are going to be differences between you and your spouse, different personalities, different temperaments, different tastes, and so on. And Rebecca and I had to learn to get along with each other. We had to learn to live together, and we had to learn to become one. You know, the Bible says a husband and wife are one, right? That's uh, Mark 10, 8 is one verse that tells you that. But anyway, it's normal to have to learn to walk. It's normal to learn to talk. It's normal to learn how to read and to drive. And just like that, you have to learn to be married, okay? It's normal to learn your job, okay? So it seems like in all areas of life, we realize this. And if we're having trouble, maybe on our job, we might get some help to learn how to do the job. We get help learning to drive. We get help with all these other things. But when it comes to marriage, a lot of times, and maybe other people, not everyone's like this, but I was, and I think a lot of other people are, you know, we don't want to get help when it comes to marriage. And uh, I think that's a mistake for us. We want to get that help. Um, so what's the answer? I, I just really gave it away. The answer is help. You know, I heard a, a minister I really like, Andrew Womack. He says that uh, help is a great prayer. And I really agree with that. Help is a great prayer. So get help. But get help from reliable sources. Okay. The Bible is the most reliable source, but there are other sources. Find a good church and get help there. Older Christian couples that have a good marriage can be good sources. You know, there are lots of marriage books. There are lots of scriptural teaching series, you know. Our book, Marriage by the Book, and I'm not just trying to get you to buy our book. There's lots of good books out there, but, but you know, I know a lot of ministers and people who use our book as a counseling tool and it proves effective for them. Uh, we've taught these things to people for years and years. It's been effective for them. But anyway, again, our book, Marriage by the Book, is available on Amazon. It's available on Kindle. It's available on Audible. Um, um, this podcast is a place where you can get help. So take advantage of those things. Okay. The bottom line is you're not the only one dealing with issues in your marriage. Don't believe that lie. You're not weird. There isn't something wrong with you. There isn't something abnormal with you. It's normal, actually, to have issues in marriage. The Bible even tells it's, it's going to happen. But those problems aren't just going to go away on their own. And, and don't wait until you have a train wreck like we did, like I did. Rebecca didn't want to wait. I'm the one that caused that to happen. Go ahead and seek help now. The best marriages can be made better and folks, even the worst marriages can be saved. I really believe that, have seen it happen, and we are actually an example of that, okay? Um, and that's really all of I want to talk about for this topic of getting help today. But one of the things we like to do in every podcast is answer a question, okay? Uh, and I have a question today. This is a question that was sent in by someone, uh, an actual married couple out there, sent this question to us. And here's their question. What do you do when you've been married for three years and it's been bad since day one? I got out of the military, but my spouse is still in. We have lived in different places, physically stationed apart for our entire marriage. When we see each other, we fight. Now my spouse wants a divorce. What do I do since we don't communicate anymore? You know what? That's a lot like the situation Rebecca and I were in. You know, our marriage was a, a train wreck from day one. Um, we went on like that for a little over two years, about two and a half years. We weren't in the military and stationed apart. You know, we're both veterans, but we weren't in the military at that time. We weren't stationed apart. But even though we were in the same house, 
we were miles apart, okay? Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you have that situation or have had that situation or know someone who has. You can be in the same house, and there might as well be miles between you. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, God got a hold of us. We got this recommendation from the secular marriage counselor to get a divorce. Then God got a hold of us. And that's when Rebecca began applying the principles we teach in our Saving Your Marriage Alone seminar. Uh, that's available as the mp3 download on our website it's the saving your marriage alone seminar and when she did that rebecca was able to turn our marriage around so i'm answering this question now okay i I read the question to you so now i'm in the process of answering it so basically here are the steps and again not as much detail as we go in in the three hours of teaching which are part of that, that seminar but these are the basic steps for saving your marriage alone okay number one decide you want to save your marriage and that you're willing to do something about it you know, basically commit yourself to that okay that's number one make a, a quality decision you know i really like this uh, the word decide comes from the latin de sidere de sidere it means to cut off so when you decide, what you're doing is cutting off other options. And I, I really like that. That really brings the, the meaning of the word decide home to me. If I decide I'm going to save my marriage, if I decide I'm going to work on my marriage, I'm cutting off other options, okay? I'm going to do this. Second is don't let your emotions dictate your behavior. Keep the focus on you and do what's right no matter what your spouse does. Don't let your emotions, don't react in kind. If they do something mean or ugly, you don't have to do something mean or ugly. You can decide to act right anyway. Okay, third, is love them the way that God loves you unconditionally. You know, love isn't just something you say. Love is something you do. The Bible tells us to put on love. So what you want to do is act like you love them, okay? Act like you love them. You know, the Bible says, I think it's 1 John three eighteen. it says to love not in word only, but in deed and in truth. You know, love is more than just something we say. It's something we do. Think about this. This is an example I feel like God gave me one time. Suppose you're, you know, into lifting weights. I used to want to get big. You know, a lot of guys do that. I wanted to get big, so I would lift weights. And, and you know, weightlifting, if you want to get big, you can't lift in word only. You have to lift in deed and in truth. And you can tell if somebody's lifting in word only or lifting in deed and in truth, okay? So it's kind of like that in marriage. You can tell if somebody's willing to do the heavy lifting or not. So, again, the point there is love them the way God loves you. You know, love is something you do, not just something you say. So the fourth thing is change. This isn't popular with people. You know, we all think our spouse needs to change. And you know what? Maybe they do. Probably they do. But I can't make my spouse change. I can only change me. But think about this. My spouse's actions affect how I act. Is that right? Yes, it is. So if that's true, don't you think that your actions affect affect how your spouse acts? Sure they do. So by changing how I act, I can indirectly change my spouse's behavior. Think about this. How would the best version of you act in your marriage? Imagine that you have the ideal marriage and you have the ideal spouse. How would you act? How would you treat them? What would happen if you did that now? Change how you behave. You know, this, those are the four basic steps for saving your marriage alone. Again, there's more information in the MP3 series, but this is basically what Rebecca stepped out and did, you know, 29 years ago that saved our marriage. Okay. Uh, folks, that's the answer to that question. And again, if you have questions, 
please send those to me at info at marriagebythebook.org. Info at marriagebythebook.org. Now, just in wrapping up, here's an exercise for you. So if you're feeling it, if you want to do it, get a pencil and paper or maybe pull out your device and answer these questions for yourself. Okay, you can you know, rewind this, replay it, get the questions. So here you go. Why might you want to make changes and work on improving your marriage? First question. Answer that one. Second, how ready are you to make those changes on a scale of 1 to 10 with when 1 being not ready at all and 10 being totally ready? How ready are you? Write down the number. Why didn't you pick the lower number? What are your reasons for being as motivated as you are? Why didn't you pick the lower number? Okay. Fourth question. Imagine you've made the changes. What would be the positive outcomes? What good things might happen as a result of you making those changes? Fifth question, why are those outcomes important to you? And sixth, what's the next step that you're going to take? That's the end of this episode, so get help. Don't wait. There's help. There's nothing dysfunctional with you just because you have some issues. The Bible even says you'll have some issues in your relationship. So my prayer for you in closing is, again, that everything will work out for your good and his glory, including in your marriage relationship. In Jesus' name, have a great day. We hope you enjoyed today's Marriage by the Book podcast. Make sure to like, rate, and review, and hit the subscribe button. For additional resources or to go deeper, visit marriagebythebook.org. See you next time.